your Bible, but I think just by nature of what I'm doing, people know the pastor's going to open the Bible. He's going to read this text. He's then going to start walking through this text and teaching me what it means. And, and because of that, I think it's a culture of you need your Bible. And a lot of people have it on their phones, no doubt, and all that. But I sure would like to think that a good sign of a church being tuned in is that the people have Bibles or you can visibly see them with their scriptures on their phone or their tablets or whatever. A terrible thing in a church is a closed Bible. You're listening to the Young Baptist Podcast, a show that exists to call believers to committed faithfulness to God's Word to equip Christians by answering the tough questions that need to be asked, and to challenge churches on everything that distracts us from the beauty and glory of Christ. Now, here's your hosts, Clay Maynard and Josh Johnson. Thank you for listening to the Young Baptist Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us today. We're just a couple of young leaders who care about the future of the church. We want to bring a fresh perspective on the issues in light of God's Word. I'm Clay Maynard, and I'm here with my co-host, Josh Johnson. And today, we are excited to have our second guest ever on the Young Baptist Podcast. Um, So we're very excited about that. And it is our honor to have Pastor Brian Sams, all the way from Jacksonville, Florida. Pastor Sams, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I'm especially excited because... You're still calling me young, and I am a Baptist, okay? Some people don't think that I am, uh, but so I know Josh has more gray hair than I do. It's true. But I am older than Josh is, and so I'm still hanging on, man. I'm in my 40s, and I'm still barely hanging on to being young. Yeah, we're the Young Baptist Podcast is starting to get a little bit of a reputation for uh, only wanting young people on or something like that, so we're, we're definitely not about that. We're... Uh, we're kind of young, but we uh, we definitely. Well, you're not anymore. You're you just turned thirty, so I mean, oh, I, I you're guess, old, man. I guess I, <laughs> I guess I am. He's gonna hold that over my head because he's uh, not thirty and I am. But um, but yeah, no, we're we're definitely looking to learn from uh, from everybody, you know, anybody that's uh, led well in all these areas, right? Oh man, well, I do spend a lot of time with young Baptists, so this sounds like it's gonna be a good time. That's perfect. Awesome. Well, Brian, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your ministry there in Jacksonville, just to kind of give them a little bit about who you are and like what God's called you to do there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm the I'm currently the senior pastor at River City Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, which uh, I came to five years ago, with, and originally it was uh, called Harvest Baptist Church, and it was a dying, declining, um, independent Baptist church. Um, kind of from the Hiles kind of mold of churches, very strong King James, very high standards, no pants on women, all those kinds of things. And, and, and really I, I came there with the very, with the intention of revitalization and replanting as it has turned out, it has actually been a complete replant. The church has been relocated, renamed. Um, the church had about 60 members when we got here. Five years ago, we lost basically everyone uh, except for 12 members. We still have 12 of the original crew left. Wow. And uh, we have about 245 members right now. So it's been an exciting journey. And, and, you know, the numbers are just a small part of the big picture of what God has done. I mean, just the um, establishment of a healthy gospel-centered view of life, sanctification, 
outreach, um, turning from an, uh, an attractional model of ministry to a missional model of ministry, focusing on expository preaching um, and discipleship has been really just fascinating to watch people grow. Um, so that that was that's my most current thing. I, I for eight years, of course, was a Bible college professor in California. Obviously, that's where I met you, Josh, and um, uh, grew there tremendously. In fact, I would say some of the philosophical things that are true of me now were embedded there as I was teaching and began to learn and grow and honestly began to really resist um, certain traditional things in the independent Baptist culture that ultimately led me uh, to kind of move away from that and establish what I would consider a more gospel-centered, word-focused type of ministry. Um, I also work at Veritas Baptist College, and uh, it's which is an online college. I serve as the undergraduate chairman of the ministry department and do some teaching there. Most importantly, uh, I am married. My wife, Angie, and I have been married for 18 years. Uh, we're blessed to have five children. Adriana, Brent, Blake, Ashley, and Braxton. They age from 13 to five months. Wow. And four out of the five of my children have been adopted. A lot of people may not know that about us. It's just the way that God did things in our lives. I'm a, I'm a huge adoption advocate. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we, we are serious about children and loving our family first. My family is far more important than anything I would ever say about church or ministry or preaching. Amen. I I love hearing you say that. I, you mentioned uh, meeting Josh out in California. Um, you know, as I've gotten to know more about you, I've heard you actually preach here at our church uh, a couple of times, and so and I've started to listen to your podcasts and uh, followed you a little bit, listened to some of your preaching, and I've really been blessed by your ministry from afar as I've gotten to know you a little better. But I know that you know Josh a lot better, and oh, yeah. so uh, you know he learned under you in Bible college, which the more I listen to you, uh, makes me I'm jealous of. But uh, what I want to know is, do you have any stories, anything embarrassing, <laughs> anything I could learn about my co-host that, you know, could give me some ammunition for the future? This should be good. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, probably the funniest story that I know about Josh is just, and, and we kind of keep this really underground, and we really had to keep this underground in California because we probably would have been excommunicated. I probably would have been fired. Josh probably would have been expelled. <laughs> Uh, Josh and, the, and his buddy Trevor uh, kind of started getting into running. I used to run a lot. I can't, my knees are kind of messed up now. I, I do more weight training now, but back in, back in, you know, seven, eight years ago, I, I ran quite a few half marathons and, and even completed a full marathon. And Josh, Josh and Trevor were, get, I don't know if they were trying to get in shape. I don't know what they were doing, but they wanted to go run this 5k down in, in the Valley in, in Los Angeles. And they asked me if I go with them. So I did. And we get there, and lo and behold, it is a it's a it's a Roman Catholic church like charity 100%. run, and so <laughs> basically, Josh and Trevor signed us up with all these proceeds from this run, you know, supporting this Catholic church. So I don't even remember the name of it. Maybe you do, Josh. I don't. But that was I just remember we came and registered, <laughs> and as soon as we got done, you registered first, and then me, and we walked kind of just away from the table, and you were like. Do you guys realize that this is a Catholic event? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no right. idea. I mean, man, we were we were far from practicing ecclesiastical separation at that point, <laughs> and and I, I was I was very disappointed in that situation. <laughs> that that's about all. We've had some fun times. Josh and I kind of I, I, for a very brief amount of time we were members of the same church in Georgia too. We yep. had some fun there and talked a lot there. 
and uh, probably even even shared some of our what would what would it ultimately be our future identities as we traveled here josh took me to the airport several times and we'd eat at that little thai place and we threw down some sushi Atlanta too. Airport, which was fantastic yeah. i'm a huge asian food person so okay uh now we have we've had some great times man i, I appreciate i've always appreciated josh's spirit and and you know i had the privilege I've, i still had the privilege of teaching and one thing for me i took serious as a teacher was that i believe that, that the best way to influence people's lives was not just in the classroom but it was to do things like go down and run a 5k or hang out at the coffee shop or have guys take me to the airport when I was preaching. It just provided me an opportunity to minister outside of the box. And these kids were at my house all the time, uh, watching football games, drinking coffee, sitting by the fire pit, you know, those, those sort of things, I think really, really developed a, a strong ministry connection that really has lasted to this point. You'd be, well, you probably wouldn't be surprised to know how many, men are in contact with me right now that I have had influence on that are in a real struggle, you know, fighting for their lives in ministry. Sometimes they even move here and get recovered. You know, Josh would know our friend, Mike Bennett. Yeah. Um, Mike uh, was, and, and I've got this on my podcast, so I'm not just speaking out, uh, you know, about him. He, he, this is an open story. He was suicidal, had to resign ministry, had to quit the pastorate. And he came limping to our church about three years ago and, and at the bottom of the barrel, I've never seen anybody as low as that. And God used the last few years to get his strength back, get his spirit back, get his family back in order. And now he's pastoring again in Indiana. It's very exciting. You know, wow. yeah. in fact, right before I haven't even answered the text messages on my phone right now because I had to come in here to this podcast, but there's a guy moving here next week, sight unseen. Um, he has never been to Jacksonville. He's never been to my church, but he was, he's a brutal, he's a, a pastor who's been beaten up, uh, frankly, over the King James uh, version issue. And he is, he had to leave his ministry because of it. He's coming down here for some healing and some help. And we're hoping to continue to invest uh, in, in, in students and, and, and just guys that love the Lord and need, and need a fresh perspective. And I think, you know, RFP, your guys' podcast and, and other venues are helping people in a great way. So I, I don't even know why I got into all that. I think Josh is cool to answer your questions. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Sam. Such an honor. It's such an honor. Uh, okay. Dr. Sam. Dr. Sam, that's right. <laughs> Actually, that, that's your You did. That's I your mean, second oh, that's doctor, thing. isn't that's it? That's the other thing. That's I'm, your second doctor. Yeah. Okay. Hey, I am actually not only do I have an earned doctorate, I actually have an honorary. <laughs> and and to be honest with you, my honorary doctorate is much more important to me than my Amen. earned doctorate. You know, uh, Josh and Blake Hubner and Aaron Chan and what maybe Logan Stewart. Yeah, I don't Logan. know if he was the other one. They conferred upon me a doctorate of bring itology. <laughs> the day they graduated from college, and they, I mean, these guys presented this framed doctorate uh, to me on their graduation day, or maybe it was graduation practice. I don't I remember it what practice. it was. It was hilarious, graduation practice. So Josh has his signature on an honorary doctorate, and I'm not kidding, man. It hangs in my office. Um, in fact, I don't even know if I'll put my other degrees up, but that one's there Amen. And, and Aaron can verify that cause he's Amen. on my staff. So. Just Amen. to, just to clarify for our listeners so that they heard it, it's, it's a doctorate of bringitology. Yeah. So if I were to I break that down, bring it <laughs> ology, the, the study. study of the study of 
hot preaching. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And and the school is the St. Hiles Theological Seminary. That's right. <laughs> so I hold a I hold an honorary doctorate from there in musical Pharisaicalism. <laughs> nice work. Yes, yes. Hey, listen, <laughs> nothing like judging people unbiblically and nothing like preaching loud, hard, and sweaty with no content. I mean, <laughs> you know, hey, at least you kept no- your doctorate, though. I have no idea where mine's at. Aaron just sent it to me in a PDF, so I don't even know where it's at at this point. Aaron, if you're listening, hey, my, send me my degree, and man. hung on my wall, man, so uh, it's, it's, it's verifiable. That's awesome. Well, it's funny what we're joking about, Brian, because what we wanted to have you on today to talk about is a subject that's very near and dear to your heart. Uh, it's TARS as well. Um, it should be near to the heart of every Christian, and particularly those who are Baptistic in belief. Um, and it's the it's the first Baptist distinctive, uh, without which none of the other distinctives uh, carry any weight. It's this issue of biblical authority. Um, as Baptists, we believe in biblical authority. We've often heard it said, God's Word is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. Um, the Baptist Confession of 1689, I love how it says it, it says, the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. The authority of this Holy Scriptures, for which it ought to be believed, dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, the author thereof. Therefore, it is to be received because it is the word of God. And anybody who doesn't like confessions, I can just give you 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Right, Clay. So last episode, we defined and we took some time to explain the importance of biblical authority. And if you haven't listened to that yet, you need to go back and check that out. That will give you some context to what we're going to be talking about. Uh, today. And what we'd like to do today, Brian, is dive into this topic and how believing and practicing this doctrine works itself out in practical ways in our lives. So we have a couple questions we'd like to ask you. First, what should a Christian look for in the preaching and teaching ministry of a church to evaluate um, that ministry's practicing of biblical authority? Yeah, well that that's a great question. And I think it I think there's I'm going to give you two ditches, okay, on the side of biblical authority as the road. Ditch number 1 is the ditch that we always get most worked up about at least in our world. In our world of some guys that are still independent Baptists, but they're not really. I mean they are. The only reason they are is because they're independent of a denomination. But when you say independent Baptist, they're they you know they're out. That's not you, you know when I was listening to Clay's episode, it was it was I'm independent, but there's all these qualifications I have to put on that. So we all know. So in that world, and that's the world I came from. The the the, the ditch on the right hand side of the road is the ditch of legalism. Okay, that's that's the ditch of extra biblical um, practices doctrines that are pinned on believers as necessary for um, discipleship, necessary for fellowship, um, and necessary for um, to be uh, doctrinally sound. And when I say extra biblical, I mean, 
outside of the Bible. <laughs> right. If yeah. it's if it's not in the Bible, then it's outside of the Bible. So it would be extra biblical, or some people would say non-biblical. Either way, it's the same problem. The problem is when you take something, anything for that matter, and you you elevate it to a position of authority, then you all of a sudden have de-authoritized the Bible. Because if this opinion and the Bible are on the same level of authority, then nothing is the authority. Right. So that's a problem. It's a huge problem. And, and uh, to be fair, though, to be fair, we all have things that we believe and maybe sometimes are even energized about that aren't necessarily thoroughly biblical. And that's okay, okay, because Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 tell us that there are things that people can differ on that you should believe and you should actually believe it to such a degree that whatsoever is not a faith and practice is actually sin. Meaning if you go against your conscience in an area that you're not sure about, it's actually sin to you. It's a problem. So I don't have a problem with you thinking something may be right or wrong. The problem is what, how you preach it, how you teach it, and how you expect others to live on it. It's this issue of, are you going to separate over it? Are you going to, are you going to tell somebody in your, in your church, for instance, ladies, that they have to wear pants because of some crazy verse over in Deuteronomy that God never intended to, to mean what so many people take it to mean today. That's when I say, so it's not wrong to have, like, I would even say it's not wrong to prefer, let's say that your wife dresses a certain way. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Everybody has to know what they believe, what they're comfortable with. And that's totally fine. There's a broad interpretation of something like modesty in first Timothy chapter two. And many would argue that's speaking of public worship anyways, mm. not even speaking of what you do at home or what you do in the marketplace and so on and so forth. Of course, that's, that's a totally different topic. The right. point is, the point is, when you take from that and you make an application from that, and then you expect everybody in your church to live it when it's not clearly taught, and um, you then will separate from other good people who don't agree with you, that's when that's a problem. So that's ditch number one. So you'll that's an easy one to know. Yeah. If you go to church and your pastor or the teachers are talking unbiblical nonsense, well, I mean, it could be doctrine. It could be practical applications like we're talking about. It could be, you know, most recently nationalism, Trumpism, Americanism, whatever, whatever thing you want to say. Right. That's not biblical. Right. Yeah. Then you then and, and you see this being pumped. I mean, this is why I mean, guys, I don't even talk about elections. I don't hand out. I don't even hand out like Christian voter guides. You know, every church I've ever been in for my whole life did that for every every voting season. Hmm. Here's a Christian here's a Christian voting guide. Here's how you should vote without I mean, with no thought to what the real what all the issues were and so on and so forth. And hmm. and I know I'm thinking politically right now because of the climate that we're living in, but it has been a great example in recent days. If your church is always talking about Trump and Biden or Republican and Democrat or or the election, you're in the wrong, that's the wrong place to be in. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Not, that's not the right kind of place to be in. So you got that, and we all know that's a problem. But I think there's another more hidden or subtle problem that I even have as much of a problem with, and it really came fleshed out to me as I became a pastor. On the other side of the ditch, you have a group of people that don't 
believe in the sufficiency of scripture, because that's what we're really talking about. When you talk about biblical authority, you're really talking about sufficiency. You're talking about, do we believe the Bible is enough yes. for us in our church? And the reason you know that's not true in many churches is because they have a attractional or a pragmatic view of reaching people or how they do church. And there's so many ways you could, you could show this. I mean, you take away the dynamic children program or the, or the dynamic worship set at some of these major churches and you reduce it to teaching and they're going to be empty. Yeah. Okay. Now, there are churches, don't, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not knocking mega churches. There are some mega churches that have great preachers and great pastors. There's nothing wrong in and of itself with a mega church. The problem is, is when you end up leaving biblical authority for the sake of um, holding an attractional model. For instance, I know I've heard guys say, I've heard guys say, I will never speak to a sexual issue on Sunday morning in my church because of the, and I, and I would push back and say, who's the head of your church? Wow. Is it the crowd mm. or is it Christ? Yeah. Like, like I give you an example. I teach verse by verse, book by book, Sunday mornings. I'm, I'm currently doing the life of Christ, but in the early days, first Thessalonians was one of my early books that I did. And I didn't think about chapter four when I started. <laughs> okay. But when you get into chapter four, I mean, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, you should abstain from fornication. You know, I mean, it's a strong, it's, it's probably the strongest passage in the, in the New Testament against fornication. Mm -hmm. So on Sunday morning, you know, uh, one year in, I mean, I just <laughs> roll out a whole sermon on, you know, basically that, that sex outside of marriage is sin and just preach the whole sermon on. Well, there was a lady who just got saved and, and just got baptized and, and had a, had a lived in boyfriend and we were trying to get, we were trying to reach him and so on and so forth. That was the end for them. That was it. I mean, they got up, walked out. It was over. In the same service, there was a, a girl who had just moved to Jacksonville her first weekend. She came to visit our church. I preached that sermon on the first weekend that she was in Jacksonville. And guess why she moved to Jacksonville? She moved to Jacksonville to shack up with her boyfriend. And God used that sermon to convict her. She packed her bags and moved back to Lake City the same weekend and knew it was wrong. Now, I didn't grow the wow. church. Okay. The church didn't grow, but God, God saw fit to take his word and help somebody and then show that one person really wasn't a disciple. Right. Just like, just like Jesus did. So, 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 so the point is I get real nervous when I see a church focusing on series all the time, you know, we're going to do it. I'm going to do a six week series on happiness and I'm going to do, I'm going to do a four week series on, you know, excelling in the workplace and I'm going to do on Marvel do, movies. You know, three, three weeks on Solomon's sex life and all this kind of junk. Look, man, I, I am not, I am not teaching and preaching in my church so that everybody will think that this pastor's in touch with, with what's going on in the culture. I don't want to be in touch with what's going on in the culture. Mm. I want to be in touch with Christ and the church and the word. And so for me, I don't stop for anything, man. They'll barely, they'll barely hear a Christmas sermon around here. I'm mm. serious. I mean, I just keep, preaching the word. And even, even in moments where I'm so tempted to jump off and just haul off and preach something, I stay rooted in expositional preaching. There's no way I could go to a church that didn't do expository book by book preaching. I just couldn't, I couldn't personally do it. I'm not saying it's the only way to do it. I am saying, I think it's the best way to do it. I think it's the most consistent way 
to show biblical authority that you actually believe in biblical authority is expositional sure. preaching book by book. Somebody asked me when I first came, when are you going to, when are you going to preach on prophecy? And this is my answer when I get to it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, I appreciate what you said there. I, I don't know how a person who's naturally biased naturally have our own inclinations, our hobby horses, our, our proclivities. I don't know how a, a teacher or a preacher could expect themselves to teach the whole counsel of God by being completely topical their entire ministry and jumping around because you're naturally going to be drawn to certain things. You're naturally going to overemphasize and, and underemphasize uh, important parts of Scripture. If I could, if I could ask you, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, to that point, I would say uh, I one of the greatest books I read on on this that that helped me with this was was I read the autobiography of W. A. Criswell called Standing on the Promises. And Josh, I may have shared this with you when you were in one of my classes, but. In that book, uh, Criswell did what so many pastors do, which is preach topics, soul winning, outreach missions, all these sort of things. Mm -hmm. And he was at the point where he was he was hopping around about every three years, which is about what pastors do. And I think the reason they do it is because they're not preaching the word because I'm only five years in and I've only preached about six books. And I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to preach the Bible like I'm supposed to if I don't stay here for all my life? These people are not going to hear it. Well, he he came to his his I think it was his third or fourth church. It was the First Baptist Church in Muskogee, Oklahoma, right after he graduated from Southern Seminary, and he got there and he and he, he went in and the pastor just died, long term pat long time pastor. The pastor had a special study upstairs, and he and 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 Criswell's wife, or I'm sorry, the the old pastor's wife, asked Criswell if he wanted to see the old man's office. So she took him upstairs and showed him around and he said, can I just stay here for a while? And he sat down at the desk where that old pastor used to study and he had a Bible on his desk and he began to just thumb through the Bible. And, and he got in Genesis and he was looking beside little passages and he was seeing dates in the margin of the Bible and, and, and the dates were consecutive. Hmm. And he started realizing this old man was just preaching the Bible verse by verse, story by story. And he said, I sat there all day and I realized how I've neglected scripture. I've neglected the stories. I've neglected the characters. I've neglected the gospel narrative throughout the whole Bible. And he began a journey right there of preaching the Bible. He preached the Bible twice at First Baptist Church in Dallas, 20 years each time going through the Bible and wow. did it just straight through Genesis, straight through Revelation. And and Criswell is well known as probably the greatest expositor uh, in, in American history in, in recent days. And I would say to anybody, there is no way that you can feed sheep. There is no way that you can avoid preference. There's no way that you can obey what you said, uh, uh, obey the, uh, follow the whole counsel of God, unless you preach through books of the Bible. It's the only way that I can guarantee that I am trusting God and believing in his authority alone for scripture. So when I don't see that in a church, I'm out. That's, that's a great answer. I would say to your point about the cultural relevance, you know, when someone comes into these churches, like you said, nothing necessarily wrong with the series, but it does give that vibe of, you know, these people are in touch with the culture. Would you, I, I would say, if you preach the whole counsel of God, if you preach through the scriptures, it doesn't really, I don't know if I can say it this way, but it doesn't really matter what the, cultural climate is you're gonna hit it because you're just going Absolutely. right through what the scripture says i mean i hit i hit racism in john four a few weeks back i was preaching and the jews have no dealings with the samaritans 
I mean, I, I took off on a Holy Spirit filled rampage on <laughs> racism. Racism is absolutely wrong and it's absolutely sinful in any form, in every culture of all time. Right. Amen. That's right. Never a justification. There's never a justification for believing one race is superior to the other. There's never a justification for police brutality with people of color, just frankly, because they're people of color. And racism historically in the in the United States in the South is is deplorable. It's condemnable. Yeah. And I mean, I just hauled off and I mean, I'm telling you, it, it was on for a while. So I would say, why do I need to do a whole series on race? God's against race. If you preach the word, it's coming up. Yeah. Then this past Sunday, I did the started the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is presenting the message of the kingdom. And they were looking for a different kind of king and a different kind of revolution. Mm-hmm. And I talked about wow. nationalism and Trumpism. And I'm in a Baptist church, and I just yep. basically told him, "You guys, unfortunately for some of you, you think you think the Trump, you think the Messiah has been in the White House for the last four years. There is no Messiah in the White House. Preach on. And 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 I I may have you That's know I've got preaching. my preference. I've got my vote. I've got the important issues that I think. But if you think a president is the answer to keep you free and keep you rich, then you don't know much about Jesus, and you don't know much about the gospel. Mm. That's good stuff, That's brother. Good. Yeah. Oh, and. You know, you're saying so much that that we could probably go on for hours about. I specifically, you're talking about Jesus, and I I just couldn't help but think of Peter. You know, he he was willing to swing a sword for his agenda, mm. for a physical kingdom, but standing beside the fire, he wasn't willing to speak the gospel for God's kingdom. Right. And that's right. a whole lot of Christians are doing that exact same thing. We're willing to swing a sword for a physical kingdom, but we're not we're not being effective in our communities preaching the gospel for God's kingdom. Um, yeah. And that really shows that imbalance. You were just talking about um, you were just talking about how you you don't have to follow the cultural the cultural narrative and jump from topic to topic based on what the culture is doing. That's so important, and I and I see two ditches with that too. On the one hand, um, on the one hand, I remember when the election happened. I remember looking at my wife after the results were coming in and telling my wife, I'm so glad that I go to a church where I know that no matter what happens tonight or tomorrow or next week, pastor's sermon on Sunday doesn't change. Amen. Yep. Yeah. And on on the other end of that, because that can be true in our churches, it also means that when major turmoil happens in our culture over a particular sin, um, like you mentioned racism, let's say there's there's turmoil in the culture about that. There's a lot of churches looking at themselves realizing we haven't been talking about this. Mm-hmm. Why haven't we been addressing this? Why are Christians so um, understudied in, and uh, in, when, when it comes to what the scripture says about this? Well, that goes right back to the same thing. When you're following the culture's narrative, you're you're avoiding things that the Bible speaks on, and Christians are not equipped to deal with what the world is is confronting us mm-hmm. with. Right. So that, that, and the interesting thing there is it all comes out in application. Okay. When you're taking the word properly interpreted and then you're, then you're finding a, a current cultural equivalent that can be addressed in this particular issue. That's real preaching. That's where preaching, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where a skilled man who understands the Bible in its context can find a way to really speak the language of the people and, 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 uh, and epistemology becomes important and this day and, and what words mean and, 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 and how words should be used and how narratives can be carried out. But if you're doing it, it's, you know, it, it's such a fine line for some, if, if you just stick to the right philosophy, you will never lack. What you're talking about sitting in a church, are they talking about what the Bible says? 
Or are they overemphasizing personal preferences? Are they expecting things of the congregation and from the members for not just recommendations, not just suggestions, but expecting these things for to be considered in good fellowship in the church or for doctrinal purity even, things that the Bible doesn't say. Um, or, as you mentioned, the other ditch where the church drifts away from um, a focus on the Scripture and allowing that to be the authority of the church. This really puts an emphasis on every single Christian to know their Bible because you can't, you can't figure that out if you're not studying the Scripture for yourself. And it really focuses on you saying, hey, it's not enough for you to just to go to church on Sunday. And then in addition to that, you know, it's having a relationship with the Holy Spirit so that where there are additional things that maybe God would lead you to do, you're willing to see, hey, these are just what God has, has you know, has um, influenced me to do. This is what I feel the Holy Spirit is leading me to do. It leads us and guides us into all truth, Scripture says. And there is a lot of areas of liberty or, or areas of conscience, as Paul talks about in Romans 14, where we do have the freedom to be, as he says, be fully persuaded in your own mind. But you can't be fully persuaded in your mind if you've not studied the scriptures for yourself and you're not maturing and growing. And so you're not bringing to church just this apathy, give me what whatever you've studied. It, it, you should bring an, an active, um, you should bring an active attitude toward the biblical authority. Issue. Yeah, I had one guy. I had one guy visit our church, and he said the reason I'm coming to your church is when I walked into your church, everybody I saw was carrying a Bible. Hmm. He said I knew right away. I don't know what's going on in there, but I guarantee the pastor preaches the Bible. And I, I, I don't tell people to bring their Bibles. I don't say you you're not a good Christian if you don't bring your Bible. But I think just by nature of what I'm doing, people know the pastor's going to open the Bible. He's going to read this text. He's then going to start walking through this text and teaching me what it means. And and because of that, I think it's a culture of you need your Bible. And a lot of people have it on their phones, no doubt, and all that. But I sure would like to think that a good sign of a church being tuned in is that the people have Bibles or you can visibly see them with their scriptures on their phone or their tablets or whatever. A terrible thing in a church is a closed Bible. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you, you're talking about this Baptist, well this said. Baptist um, podcast here. It's interesting. This feeds right into one you'll get too much later, individual soul liberty. I mean, we either believe it or we don't. You either believe that every Christian is accountable personally to God himself or you believe that the Baptist pastor is the Pope. It's just, there's no, there's no other way about it. <laughs> and I think that's the real problem. These guys actually think if you listen carefully to these real, and, and look, I, I've been nothing uh, until I became a pastor, I've been nothing in hardcore independent Baptist church my whole life with heavy, I mean, heavy handed leadership, heavy handed leadership. And those guys, I mean, whether they would ever admit it or not, they think that they have some special connection with God. This man of God, you know, thing that we joke about all the time. It's very mm -hmm. serious to them. I mean, they, they think, they think they've been, uh, they've been anointed and put there. Nobody can touch them and, and what they, and their insight. You, you ever said it, when you listen to them carefully, they'll say like this, I want you to write three things down. I want you to write. And you see all these people, I mean, they get their pens out and it's like the, the man of God has given me something. Well, no, no, he's not. I mean, he's, if he's giving you anything, he's giving you the word. He's just, He's not the editor of the newspaper. He is the delivery boy, and that's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And and that's a problem with these guys. And therefore, yeah. it, it plays out in everything. They are up in the business of their staff members, dictating what they do, what kind of house they buy, what kind of cars they finance. And I mean, it gets deep. And it's a mentality. It's not it's it's this thing of biblical authority is so deep rooted and, and negatively so in the in the independent Baptist world that I'm familiar with that it is a major problem that they don't they they have got to get a grip of or they're going to fall apart and i think they are falling apart i just don't think they realize they're falling apart yeah and you talk about that that heavy-handed leadership what you're describing is completely absent from the pages of the new testament you can't find any leadership that god endorses or that this or that the church is supporting or that paul's uh promoting that that behaves that way and and really i mean just to call it what it is for a lot of these guys, it's a it, you're to equate to sit there and equate the scripture with something that I think, and I've even heard preachers quote other preachers that are highly esteemed. And make no mistake, some of them are great have have had great ministries and done amazing things for the Lord. But I hear them quote them with this holy hush of reverence and say, and even go so far as to say, hey. Don't don't dislike it because I said it. It's what brother so and so said, and you see yeah. this holy hush across the audience as if God has spoken in a way right. that sometimes you don't even see when they're quoting scripture. And so, I mean, just to call it what it is, you've got pastors and teachers in a glory war with God with this issue of biblical authority versus man's authority. I mean, you have they're in a they're coming hey, to church. We should write a book with that title. We should collaborate on a book called Glory War. That'd glory be a good war. one. That was yeah, I mean, you, here you it. are coming. I mean, just think I just as I envision this, a man coming into the church, coming into the into the place where believers are meeting to presumably to worship Jesus Christ and to focus their hearts and minds on his beauty, his glory, his gospel, and his kingdom, and to sit and to go there and challenge that focus. Using his own words. Hey, using God's it. word. Yeah, yeah. using yeah. God's word to manipulate yeah, that's that attitude. the dangerous thing is when that there's just enough scripture mixed in that it sounds almost authoritative, but it's not interpreted. Here's another whole, and I don't know how far we want to go on this, but there's a whole other angle on this. The original question was, how would a Christian know going in? Here's a whole other angle that's a, a very interesting angle, and that is you can tell by the leadership structure of the church also. Uh, the CEO, mm-hmm. single pastor leader model, which is all I've ever known which is a pastor who has deacons that are his advisory board, then staff that are not elders. They're not elders. They're not pastors. They're staff members. And there are, there are churches I know, their staff members don't even know what's going on in the church. They don't, they're not even part of the leadership team. And then to watch them try to uh, wrestle out of context plurality of elders in the New Testament mm. – is hilarious. I mean, Free John. look, there is no question about it. Churches were led by a leadership team that depending on probably the size of the church, there were elders, there were teaching elders, first Timothy five, there were leading or ruling elders. Yep. And this is rooted all the way back in the old Testament. Um, there, there were deacons, but you find no place in the new Testament for a single pastor with a group of deacons that are his his cooperative board or whatever, and this whole other group of people that are called pastor or assistant pastor that have no authority or word in to the 
a pastor's ear. There's zero accountability. Yep. They're treated like servants and slaves. They're, it's not a team whatsoever. Yeah. I could give you so many examples that we'd be here all night, but I'm telling you, I would know right away if I walked in. That's why I will tell, tell my church all the time, uh, the pastors of the church. I even use the word elder. I use the word elder. Hey, it's a Bible um, I word. Them, I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's a biblical word, right? I tell them there are elders in this church. We operate as a team. The leadership team of this church is made up of elders and deacons. Elders are shepherds. Deacons are servants. That's how we roll. I am the teaching elder, and I do believe there's a primary authority and the teaching elder, the one that's given the responsibility to primarily communicate the, the Bible. Uh, in in the church, and I think First Timothy makes that clear. Give give double honor to those who are elders, particularly those who labor in the word. There are obviously elders that don't labor in the word, right? Okay, so because of that, the Independent Baptist uh, model of CEO pastor running the business, writing the checks, making all the decisions, no checks and balances, no accountability is a complete and absolute disaster. Yeah, this goes right back to one of the things I said when I opened was that it, without this first Baptist, without this first distinctive, all the rest of the distinctives don't really hold much weight because we're going to get to two offices yeah. as one of the distinctives. And going back to this, if you, don't, if you don't believe in biblical authority, if you're not looking to the New Testament when you're setting up a church, if you're not primarily saying, what does God's word say about it, then it doesn't matter. Do whatever you want to do then. But if you care, if you if you if you believe in the in biblical authority, it's not up to you and it's not up to me. We really need to be looking to the model of the New Testament and the explicit teachings of of Paul, who who gives a lot of instructions on this stuff. And, and it's amazing to me. I've been in I've been in dilemmas in churches. Even I've discussed some of them with Josh. Some very con, highly contested situations and very um, um let's just call them let's call them extremely heated environments that I've been in, where as people discussed things with me, I started to realize nobody who was a leader or elder in the situation knew anything about what the scripture said about how to handle it. Right. And I remember, I mean, these are people who tout the, the title, we're Bible believers. Hmm. And I sit there and say, Matthew 18 tells you what to do here. You're not doing that. First Timothy right. 5 talks about this. We're not you're not doing that. And so right. knowing that the Bible actually tells us how to handle these issues, it's not just some uh some burning and cover and and uh you know have have a of a, a complete showdown, which is often what happens in these churches because there's no recognizable New Testament pattern for church discipline. Well, yeah, and, and that that's a great here's a question. Here's a question I would toss out to all of the major IFB leaders, okay? The big players, the big dogs, the ones who everybody looks to. Here's a have you ever seen church discipline even happen uh, in those churches? What you find is firings sweeping under the rug and relocations and replacing people with no word. I mean, yeah. I've been in churches where some of the biggest players on the stage have committed atrocious sins and nobody knows what happened. Hmm. They just moved down the road somewhere. Where's the restoration? Where is the repentance? Where is the church being the church uh, and bringing somebody who even let's say was, a, was sexually deviant? Well, isn't the gospel for him? 
isn't restoration for him? Shouldn't he, even if he's not an employee of the ministry anymore, shouldn't he be reconciled, restored, and even brought back into fellowship with the church? That's what the text says. Right. But we don't do that kind of stuff. Well, and, and if you were the and if, and if you were the in those situations, if you were the enemy, if you were the bad guy, just being run off. I mean, I've 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 seen situations where I was where somebody all of a sudden just disappeared. They were there one service, they weren't the next service, and nobody knew what was going on. Yeah, so I think I just think that's a, a other telltale signs. And you know, if if you just stick with those three or four issues, you would know pretty quickly whether you're in a biblical church or not. I mean, it's, it's not that hard to figure out. Absolutely, that's a great answer. Um, the second question we had is, how can the average Christian? Because we've got a lot of people who aren't, you know, church leaders. Um, we just got a lot of regular Christians listening to this. And how can they approach their Christian life in a way that makes God's word the final authority in their life? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it starts with a, a rich devotional life. I mean, you, you got to walk with God. I mean, you got to know the Bible. And the only way to know the Bible is to read it. The only, the only way to know the USA Today is to read what was in it today. I mean, it's just right. that simple. So I think a healthy, manageable, doable scripture digestion plan. My recommendation for a, somebody who's new to scripture reading would be to, to, to do some reading and then some study with some reliable resources, trustworthy um, people who interpret the Bible correctly, dispensationally, um, theologically sound, like the Christ-centered exposition series would be a great example. You know, if I was a new Christian or, or somebody that's trying to get into the Word, I'd take a book and I'd read it a chapter at a time. And I'd follow along with some, maybe some commentary or some, um, at least a resource book that gives you some background. Take a class. Um, if you're in a church that offers Bible studies, jump in a Bible study. We're offering one called Get Deeper in the Word this, this coming winter. And uh, starting next week, actually, and, and Aaron Chan's leading that. He's a tremendous Bible student. He's going to help our people. So I would just tell you, hey, jump into a class. Hey, go online. Uh, enroll in an audited class at a Bible college. Um, read a New Testament survey, Old Testament survey book uh, along your Bible and get to know the Scripture. And obviously, if you're not in an expositionally preaching church, run as fast as you can to get under the Word. Um so that would be that would be how it started, and just I I think if you're not reading the Word on your own every day, I mean, like I eat breakfast every day, I'm in the Word every day, I'm in the Word every day. I am personally studying a topic right now for just for my own spiritual nourishment. Now I've read through the Bible more times than I could count. Uh, I study the Bible all the time; it's what I do. So for me personally, I'm digging on the word self-control and perseverance right now. And I'm just studying. I'm just, I'm just feeding my own soul, reading some good books, uh, listening. Hey, listen, man, how many people waste their life watching YouTube videos and thumbing through Google, Twitter, Facebook, and right. Instagram? Put it down and listen to podcast preaching. You want to feed your soul? You want to learn the Bible? Listen to John MacArthur. Listen to H.B. Charles. Uh, listen to, you know, whoever, whoever, Kurt Skelly, anybody that's just a prolific Bible teacher, I would put them on to things like Carrie Schmidt and Kurt Skelly. They do those morning devotionals where they're just walking through yes. books of the Bible. I mean, I was, I would, you know, Kurt and I are very close friends and I, I know him well, but I was profoundly influenced by his study on Nehemiah last year. It was unbelievable. 
just walking through every verse of that book. So there are so many resources. Frankly, there's no excuse absolutely to not be a Bible reading, Bible studying believer in 2021. Yeah, that's great. I I can honestly say what you just pointed out. It's never been easier to get to know your Bible. It has never been easier to get to study your Bible. And before I taught in a church capacity, I had read my Bible all the way through. I had studied it on a number of occasions, um, learning to study it. But when I started teaching, and I, I recommend this to anyone now, pretend like you have a class to teach next week mm-hmm. on a chapter. Mm-hmm. Go through there, read it for yourself, take some notes, think through it, pray about it, ask God to minister to you, meditate on it, but then just turning right around and availing yourself of, I mean, we've got apps on our phone that that have oh, yeah. multiple commentaries, Matthew Henry and, and others. You can just read, and, and after you've gleaned what the Holy Spirit can tell you, then you can benefit from such a rich mm-hmm. tradition of Christian history of great students of the Bible and teachers of the Bible. And so just as you said, I mean, there's just no excuse for Christians. If you want to have, if you want to understand the Bible, you want to know the Bible, you can. For me, if I were to give a new Christian or a, a desiring Christian one resource, I give them Warren Wearsby's Bible exposition series, Old and New Testament, hands down, it will help them know the Bible. It will help them in a, in a tremendous way. It's, it's hands down uh, the most concise, sound commentary on scripture. It's not deep, but that does, it doesn't have to be deep. It's, it's sound and it's, and it's concise. As we're talking about this, I think about the quote from Arkant Hughes in the book, Disciplines of a Godly Man. He said, you can never have a Christian mind without reading the scriptures regularly because you cannot be profoundly influenced by that, which you do not know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we, yeah, absolutely. I think we personally, from personal experience, my Christian life dramatically changed between the end of my first semester sophomore year of Bible college and when I came back the next fall. I had to sit out a semester, and it the reason it changed is because I went from being in classes every day, hearing preaching every day, to the realization, if I'm going to grow, I'm going to have to be a self-feeder. Mm. And I can't yep. just I can't depend upon someone spoon feeding me the scripture. And I don't know, maybe we have some Bible college students listening. Do not put yourself into a position where your professors and your chapel speakers are the only intake you have of the scriptures. Amen. If, if I could go back and change anything of my Bible college days, I would not change missing that semester of college because that semester of college brought me closer to Jesus because I had to learn how to get in the book myself. Yeah, I, Josh, what you just said, I, that when I was talking about how I, at one point I didn't teach in church and then I started teaching in church, I can't even explain to you, I would never want not want to teach in my church anymore because it is so rich and it is so amazing. I just sit sometimes at home and, and God blesses me and enriches me with the truth of his word. And I'm sitting, I mean... <laughs> I look around the room as if, has anybody read this thing? <laughs> and it's just amazing to be so blessed by God's word over and over again on a week-to-week basis. And you, I know you guys know what this is like. To add that, aha, having that aha moment as, you, as God blesses you and realizing, man, how can I communicate this? Mm-hmm. 
How can mm-hmm. I show what, you know, how can I, it's such a, it's such a sacred joy mm-hmm. and a wonderful privilege to teach. But, but, but now knowing that, now knowing what that is like, I so, I so um, encourage Christians to, to go and read the Word of God for themselves, study it for themselves, and treat it like you are a teacher. Just get into it because yeah. there's so much, it's so true. Well, Brian, this has been great. We really appreciate having you on tonight. Before we uh, sign off, we we're kind of trying to start a tradition. Uh, we did our last interview with Carrie Schmidt, getting some books that you would recommend all of our listeners uh, pick up and read. Maybe your all-time favorites, something you're reading now, you recently read, anything really. What books would you recommend to our listeners? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, let me say this first because it will, it might streamline the process for some people. My last podcast episode of 2020 was on the top 10 books I read in 2020. And, uh, so it may be that, uh, it may be that, that your listeners would want to go over to the Brian Sands podcast and listen to that episode. It, it was, I think it was, I think it was a, a good episode. It was well-received, uh, but let me hit some highlights for you. I read, I read a lot. Um, I've read multiple books, um, uh, for as far as, as far as recent books, let me start there. Uh, a recent books that were just profoundly impactful. Number one, the best book I read in 2020 was gentle and lowly by Dane Ortland. I think that is maybe the best book I've read in probably two decades. It wow. had the kind of impact that Knowing God by J.I. Wow. Packer had on me when I was a college student. Guys, you, you stop what you're doing, get the book, read it. It's powerful. It's just about the Lord Jesus and how wonderful he is, and you will, you will be encouraged by that one. I would also say that um, uh, probably the second most profoundly impactful book this year was The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby on the race issue. Uh, listen, uh, you, you've got, you've got to, uh, you got to read it. It, It's, it's, it's historical. It's, it's, it's powerful, super book. Um, I mentioned W.A. Criswell, Standing on the Promises was a phenomenal book. Love Worth Finding, which is the biography of Adrian Rogers was very, very, very good. Anybody that's interested in Baptist history, I would tell you to read The Conservative Resurgence, uh, which is a story about the the Southern Baptist Convention and how the conservatives took the convention back over. A lot of misinformation in the independent Baptist culture about Southern Baptists. I affiliate with them. I'm friends with them. A lot of most of my friends in town are Southern Baptist. Um, we we have no. I have zero separation lines uh, with Southern Baptist. Good solid Bible preaching Southern Baptist. And I think it's just because people don't know what they're talking about and they just don't know the real issues at hand. Finding the Right Hills to Die On by um, Gavin Ortland. Guys, if you struggle with separation, secondary separation, understanding the issues, theological triage is something you need to understand. Great book. And then I'll leave with these two. And if you, um, uh, anything. Okay, that Rosaria Butterfield writes, you need to read. Okay, she she is the lady who was a lesbian um, professor of women's studies at Syracuse University, and she got saved. Her book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, is absolute gold. And then her Mm -hmm. second book, which is called The Gospel Comes with a House Key on Hospitality amazing books. So I could talk all night about books because I'm a book crazy person. So, but those are some ones that are really, really helpful. Awesome. Uh, just for our listeners sake, where can they connect with you like on social media or, uh, even your podcast? 
Yeah, sure. So the Brian Sam's podcast is on iTunes predominantly, so you can look that up. Um, it's, it's we talk a lot about issues similar to this. Um, I would say, secondly, uh, Twitter is, is is at Brian Sam's. Facebook as a page, a public page. Pastor Brian says, please don't request me as a friend on Facebook because I'm not going to accept it. So uh, <laughs> that is predominantly for my family and my tr- my church in Jacksonville. So don't be offended if I don't. You can follow my public page if you'd like. Um, and then, of course, um, you can check us out at rivercitybaptist.church. We'd love to hook up with you. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. This has been uh, such a rich conversation. Mm-hmm. I know that I've been benefited from it uh, as well as uh, so many of our listeners. So I just wanted to say once again, thank you so much for coming. Uh, if you're listening, go follow him uh, on social media. Go listen to his podcast. I've listened to his podcast. It's great stuff. I highly recommend it. Brian, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. You awesome. too. Thank you, sir. You know what, Josh? What's that, Clay? I think we should go read the Bible. <laughs> yeah. There it is. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Young Baptist Podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Young Baptist Pod. And check out our website at theyoungbaptistpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a review wherever you consume the content. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time on the Young Baptist Podcast. Podcast.